Contented Media presents Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, an original podcast series with Mark Hunter and Arthur Van Pelt. Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, the podcast that mines the coalface of fake news to unearth the nuggets of truth in the world of Craig Wright and BSV. My name is Mark Hunter, writer, amateur surgeon and swimsuit enthusiast, and with me as usual is the man who can't attract a lawsuit from Craig Wright for love nor money, Arthur Van Pelt. Arthur, how's life? <laughs> Amateur surgeon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm fine, uh, Mark. Uh, the, there are tropical temperatures here in the Netherlands uh, these days, so uh, no urge to do uh, crazy things. But uh, yeah, I do have lots of time um, uh, to lock myself up a bit to do a lot of writing. Uh, and I like writing uh, between my work, as you know. And I'm in the process of uh, becoming a shareholder of a private company called Sonified, a startup, sorta. Two years ago, they started a globally operating uh, solar parks builder who is using patented artificial intelligence and uh, Bitcoin mining behind the meter to ramp up uh, the profitability of their solar park. So, yeah, that's a time consuming uh, process. And now we are uh, finalizing the paperwork. So, yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited about this, uh, as you might imagine. Yeah, it sounds like a very interesting concept, certainly something off the beaten track anyway. I hope you'll still have time to come back here every month in between sunbathing in the solar fields, though. <laughs> yeah, sure thing, uh, Mark. I will uh, not rest until uh, this con man, uh, Craig Wright, has left the uh, Bitcoin arena. And uh, next to writing uh, my long-form articles, I love doing the Dr. Bitcoin podcast uh, with you. Excellent stuff. Glad to hear it. We start this month with a story on the Pineapple Hack case, and more specifically, one particular aspect of the fallout. Now, we covered the genesis of this case in Series 1, Episode 5 of this podcast, but Arthur, could you please give us an overview of this story? Well, as it happens, I just wrote a long article, uh, 88 minutes uh, reading time uh, currently, about Craig Wright's numerous hack claims uh, that was published on uh, June the 3rd on my Medium page, uh, and it was immediately republished uh, by the CoinMonks uh, media outlet. Uh, they appear to be uh, big fans of my work. It contains a section, of course, of the pineapple hack, so this is all fresh in my memory now. So we learned in June 2020, can you imagine, that's already two years ago already, that Craig's counsel, Ontier, had sent a letter to Blockstream telling them that Craig was hacked in February 2020 and had lost access to 110,000 BTC on two different addresses. Ontier requested Blockstream's help to recover these 110,000 Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network, but Blockstream totally ignored Ontier. So then we jumped to February the 24th of 2021, where we learned from Craig that the hack was performed with a pineapple Wi-Fi device that was installed behind his TV without his permission, he said, during an Ocean's Eleven style event. And let me quote uh, uh, Craig Wright himself here, so you get the picture. We have evidence of the theft and the break-in. We have the Wi-Fi pineapple that was planted on my property. It was wired behind the TV. I have surveillance cameras with three different companies on the time that the break-in occurred. And someone installed the pineapple in my house while we won't dare. ADT, the security firm, had a data center failure. 
and lost all the records. The police checked into that and it just happens that simultaneously several outages across multiple companies occurred right at the same time. So there you have it, Mark, Craig's uh, side of the story. Interestingly, however, this hack isn't the start of this story, despite appearances to the contrary. For the real spark, we need to go back to mid-2019, when Craig, Calvin and the rest of the Hair Bear Bunch were looking for a way to help Craig get his hands on the 1.1 million Satoshi Hall after his previous efforts failed miserably. To achieve this, they came up with a genius idea get courts to force blockchains into compromising themselves and handing back coins to the rightful owners. Here's a clip from episode 5 describing this theory. Immutable means you have a record. That doesn't mean that it can't change. So where people say, Bitcoin, you own the keys, you own Bitcoin. No, you don't. Actually, if someone steals your keys, you don't own uh, the, the person with the transferred Bitcoin doesn't own it. So I'll give you something that people don't realise. Government can actually result in um, uh, court orders being issued to seize and, and transfer Bitcoin. There's none of this, you don't get to do whatever, uh, wrong. If you think that, you really are deluded. And uh, you're going to start figuring out that um, the reality of all this is um, uh, you could get a, a worldwide freezing order and a proceeds of crime order across multiple jurisdictions. And... Um, you can then have miners have to make the change and the government could just seize that Bitcoin. This plan resulted in Craig Wright suing numerous entities he claimed had a fiduciary duty over his allegedly stolen coins, including developers from Bitcoin, Bitcoin SV and Bitcoin Cash, as well as the Bitcoin Association, which is a kind of sales and partnership wing of BSV. To avoid confusion, we'll refer to them here as the BSV Association. Wright claimed that these entities had the means to give him back his stolen coins, with the presumed intention of using a successful court order to then pursue the 1.1 million Satoshi coins a short way down the line. However, the case was ruled to be so devoid of merit that the judge threw it out before it could even get to court. For more information on this, see our March 2022 episode. With the case seemingly dead and buried, Wright has requested permission to appeal this case, so it's still technically alive, but only in the same way that a zombie or Rudy Giuliani is still technically alive. It was fascinating to learn this month that the BSV Association had settled with Wright over a case it had already won. The settlement involved the implementation of a notary tool, a tool developed by BSV that freezes the blockchain and enables anyone with a legal claim over the coins that are no longer in their possession to get them back. The ramifications of this settlement are both huge and telling, from legal, ideological and technical standpoints. Let's look at the legal side first. Arthur, I have never heard of a defendant winning a case against the litigant and then choosing to settle out of court after they've won, what was the point in bringing it in the first place if they were just going to ignore it and do their own thing anyway? Well, I think um, legal technically, the BSV Association can do this as they didn't team up with the Bitcoin developers to fight back based on the jurisdiction defense. So BSV Association was technically not a defendant winning anything here. As such, they don't have to follow any court order and they can choose between two things. Either they choose to follow the judgment that said the case has the right jurisdiction, but completely lacks any merits in uh, requesting the developer's help in recovering any tokens on any decentralized blockchain, 
or they can choose to go their own way. Now that they realize that they will not get a claimant-friendly judgment anytime soon. And the latter happened. Which is of course not a surprise. BSV Association wanted the 110,000 BSV tokens on their network to go to Craig. In that sense, it appears they had colluded with Craig Wright already before the Pineapple Hack case started. The wording of the settlement says that the BSV Association will develop and make available on its website software which, when implemented by miners, will enable an entity in whose favour a court order or document of comparable force is made to request control of BSV through the legal entity and the notary tool. Now, this idea of court orders being used to force blockchain operators to hand over coins is of course what Craig has been talking about this whole time, but this was predicated on the assumption that he would actually get one. Arthur, now he's been denied one, it seems that the BSV Association has been forced to put in that line about a document of comparable force being used instead. And let's not mince words here, this is huge. Wright and Air have been banging on about court orders being the only thing that could force miners to redistribute coins, and now the moment Wright can't obtain one, we have this notion of a document of comparable force. What exactly do you think they're talking about here when they say a document of comparable force? The only thing with comparable force to a court order is another court order of the same level court or a court order from a higher level court. Because outside the court system, there is legal technically speaking, nothing of comparable force except for law or jurisprudence itself. But the jurisprudence uh, said so far is that the case uh, has no merits. So what will happen, in my opinion, is that BSV Association is going to dilute, or water down, this phrase to the settlement outcome that has been recognized by this court as such, and to give the settlement a little more credibility, maybe, and so they might register the settlement at the notary, and use that as a lame excuse for comparable force. But at all times, uh, they want this to happen. The 110,000 BSV should at all times be appointed to Craig Wright and they will find any excuse to make it happen. Also, if a court is no longer involved, who are the ones who are going to judge the merits of this supposedly comparable document? They aren't going to want to hand over coins to any old Joe Bloggs who claims they were stolen from him. So who's going to be the arbiter of all this? If it hasn't come directly from the police or some other law enforcement agency, it seems like they're going to have to be the ones to verify it. I mean, is there going to be some kind of panel for each blockchain appointed to review all such documents and compare their claims to a court order to see if they fit the bill? It's madness. Yeah, it certainly is. It's it's a snake pit. My firm impression is this is not going to end well for the BSV Association, not for BSV also, uh, nor for Ontier and for Craig Wright and his camp. But yeah, please let them try. Now, fortunately, or unfortunately, if you happen to put this podcast together, we got wind on the very last day of June of just how Wright plans to go about putting his case before the BSV Association. In a full-page advert in the legal notices of the Financial Times, Tulip Trading Limited claimed ownership of the one Feeks address and a secondary address Wright claims was compromised in the attack, and called on anyone who had a prior claim on the addresses to make themselves known and file a legal claim to that effect. The aim here is clear, 
to present the BSV Association with proof that, since no one else has come forward to claim the coins, then they must belong to Tulip Trading Limited, using the evidence of the hack as evidence of ownership, never mind the fact that the evidence of the hack has never actually been before a court. We'll go through this in more detail in next month's episode, but the wheels against this motion have already started moving. Former Mt. Gox CEO Mark Karpeles tweeted that he has already informed Mt. Gox bankruptcy administrator Nobuaki Kobayashi that Wright is claiming the coins that he says rightfully belong to Mt. Gox holders from where they were stolen in 2011, and that any recovered assets must be returned to the victims. No doubt we'll have more on this development as it unfolds over the following months. Let's not forget as well that the BSV Association, like Enchain, like BSV, CoinGeek and all the rest of it, are all part of the Calvin Air Circus, all wholly or partially funded by him, and he has loaned Craig Wright money that at some point he's going to want back. The court orders were supposed to give this official entitlement to allow Craig to ransack BSV for the supposedly stolen coins, which he could use to pay Calvin back. But with that plan having failed, they have had to build in a back door that allows Craig's claim to slip through unchallenged, but, presumably, remain robust enough to ward off anyone else who has a claim on lost or stolen BSV. They're constantly shilling BSV as the only law-abiding blockchain, and here they are, acting like they're completely above the law, with Calvin Air settling a lawsuit between two of his companies in a move that favours nobody but himself and the other stooges that form the heads of this gorgon. Talking of Calvin Air, let's go back to February 26th and a tweet of his in response to someone suggesting that Craig might railroad the BSV Association into giving him the coins. The association, which Craig is not a member of, is not going to help him without a court order. They are a Swiss-registered and regulated association with independence involved. Craig is not BSV. That is stupid to make that case. He actually wrote CASEL, but we assume he wasn't offering advice on medieval constructions. This about-face is yet another example of Calvin Eyre saying something and then completely undermining his comments with his actions just months later. This case is also reminiscent of Wright and Eyre bleating on that coins will move as a result of the Kleiman vs Wright case, when as we all know, coins were never going to move, whatever happened. It was all in dollar value and had been from the start. We'll move on to the technical side now, and we'll try to keep it as jargon-free as possible. We know this isn't why most of you come here, but please bear with us, it is important. Arthur, if by some magic Craig Wright's evidence that his BSV coins were stolen satisfies the BSV Association's tough guidelines, what's the process of actually getting them back? Well, we don't know the technical ins and outs uh, in detail yet, but looking at the preparations that have been made by the BSV uh, protocol development camp, which is mostly N-chain, we can already start to make some educated uh, guesses. They will likely permanently uh, freeze the existing uh, public BSV addresses containing those uh, 110,000 BSV tokens, so they become unusable. Maybe they will even send these uh, 110,000 uh, tokens to a burn address to empty the old addresses, and then they will create a new public address with 110,000 BSV on them and hand that new address with the private key to Craig Wright. I think it will be something along these lines. In this process, the BSV miners have to approve this uh, protocol update and they can potentially reject it. But since the whole mining infra is uh, controlled by Kelvin Air, I don't see that happen anytime soon. Yeah, this is like MPs voting themselves a pay rise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 
If BSV was actually properly decentralized, we'd see at least some resistance from miners, wouldn't we? Yeah, maybe a minority miner will fork off in the turmoil, but uh, yeah, who knows. Yeah, I think if I was foolish enough to still be mining BSV, I think I'd fork off as well. <laughs> yeah. This whole issue over the need for court orders and the transparent workaround that is the result of its failure dates back to Wright's argument that proof of keys is not proof of ownership and that law trumps code. Except it shits on it, doesn't it? Because Wright has failed to show in court that he owns these coins and yet he's still working out how to get his hands on them through code. So law has nothing to do with it. CoinGeek reported on the story that the BSV Association had chosen to settle a case it had already won, but claimed that this story wasn't the story, and that the real story was the creation of the notary tool, not the incestuous way it had been cobbled together or its ramifications. Don't look over there, look over here! CoinGeek tackled the thorny issue of the document of comparable force by totally sidestepping it, and merely called the suggestion of its inclusion a possible blueprint for use in other jurisdictions. It added that it is important to note that this settlement is not an agreement to move any specific coins, including those at the core of Dr. Wright's lawsuit. Phew, for a minute there, we were worried Craig was going to use it to try and claim all those coins back. But thank goodness this isn't an agreement like that at all. Nothing to do with it. Completely unrelated. Just coincidence. Although, I wonder who will be the first to try it out. CoinGeek also claimed that the Pineapple Hack lawsuit was thrown out for want of jurisdiction, with Calvin Eyre claiming on Twitter that this issue has never been before a judge. That was kicked out on a technicality. Arthur, this is complete rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, of course it's rubbish uh, of Calvin Eyre. I've not seen him understand law and court orders uh, to the slightest uh, so far, so I'm not surprised uh, to see him spout nonsense uh, like this again. It wasn't a simple technicality, instead it was a full-blown destruction by the judge of the total merits of the whole claim why Craig Wright lost the pineapple hack case. Wright's legal team Onzier reinforced the notion that the settlement had nothing to do with Wright or Tulip Trading Limited recovering the stolen BSV by, oh no, my mistake, it completely fessed up. This settlement should be welcomed by anyone who has lost access to their BSV. Dr. Wright has always maintained that the technology required to restore control over digital assets were both necessary and available, in circumstances where private keys have been lost or stolen. Today's settlement is the latest step in securing TTL's recovery of its stolen assets. Arthur, I know you're not the biggest fan of Ontier anyway, but they're just shamelessly celebrating the scam here, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Ontier is, in my opinion, uh, the biggest uh, scam-enabling party here, and elsewhere in other uh, Craig's cases, uh, I have to add. From the moment that they accepted cosplaying Craig Wright as a client without doing proper due diligence uh, on him, or even worse, ignoring the outcome of uh, this uh, due diligence, they have embarked on a quest to endorse Craig as Satoshi without any proof. They have thrown Craig's old and new forgeries over the fence in all the cases in which they represent Craig on his uh, scammy quest. And I'm saying this for a while already, but this is not going to end well for them in the long run. Their reputation has already been destroyed, but I can also see the SRA, which is the Solicitors Regulation Authority, the regulatory body for solicitors in England and Wales, step in at some point uh, with some hard questions uh, to Ontier. As we tend to do in these situations, we turn next to the reaction from the BSV community, 
who surely, surely were at last beginning to smell, if not an actual rat, then at least the foul stench of the droppings. But no, they swallowed the scam hook, line and sinker, with lots of talk of Craig getting his coins back that ignored the comprehensive undermining of the blockchain, including from Calvin Eyre, who proved that CoinGeek's claim of no relationship between the BSV hall and their settlement was complete horseshit. Mindful of the heat it was attracting, the BSV Association put out a settlement FAQ to try and wiggle itself out of the mire in which it now found itself stuck fast. Claiming that it was already building a notary tool anyway, handy, and that the introduction of such a tool aligns with our association's goal to build a lawful digital currency ecosystem that leverages the capabilities of the Bitcoin public ledger to advance more honesty, transparency and accountability in the world. That's right, a lawful digital currency ecosystem where you can bend your own rules to suit your paymasters and where a court order is not required to prove ownership of the assets within it. The association also claimed that it was put under pressure to push the tool through after Wright issued his demands at short notice, but here's Wright talking in March 2021 about the situation. The Bitcoin Association, BSV Association, is a fiduciary. It does not act in isolation, but acts through determined rules such as those that have been issued under court seal. In this, it will act to freeze and later return stolen Bitcoin, proceeds of crime and more. All these actions will be, and shall be, available to every single blockchain. The pressure can't have been that much then, seeing as they'd known about it for well over a year. It's also worth noting here that the BSV Association was pulled up in 2021 for confusing people into thinking it was promoting Bitcoin when in fact it promotes BSV. The association argued at the time that it had never conflated the two or sought to pass off BSV as Bitcoin, which makes the fact that it references BSV and its derivatives 11 times in its FAQ, but mentions the term Bitcoin more than twice that slightly odd, not to mention the name Bitcoin Association. Arthur, how did the BSV Association tackle this thorny issue of the document comparable in force to a court order? Did they do what CoinGeek didn't do and give us some sort of insight into what this might be and who's going to rule on it? <laughs> yeah, no, they uh, ignored this. What an absolute surprise. <laughs> yeah. This piece also allows the BSV Association to completely wash its hands of the implementation of the tool, saying it's entirely up to the miners to carry out the order, which gives the impression that the miners might not fall into line and that any decision on the matter will be democratic. Arthur, I think I know the answer to this by now, but what are the odds that the BSV miners will object to such an order, even if it doesn't come from a court? <laughs> Close to 100%. <laughs> the whole mining infra and uh, yeah, a lot more is uh, controlled by uh, Craig's uh, shooter daddy Kelvin Air anyway, as we know. It's about as uh, democratic as uh, North Korea, but less principled. This FAQ piece, which totally bypassed issues critical to the implementation of the notary tool, was praised by the BSV community as being a great announcement, while Calvin Eyre himself called it a very good explanation. Others praised the way the update made a complex situation easier to understand, while yet another was glad that the BSV Association was committed to responsible communication. Jesus Christ. All things considered then, it's clear that this is a pivotal point in the court orders move coins narrative that Craig Wright and his cabal have been pushing for over two years. 
The entire purpose of the venture was to allow Wright to get his hands on billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin and BSV, with the pineapple hack case being a testing ground for his claims to go after the coins in the Satoshi wallets. The coins Wright told the court in the Kleiman case that he had mined Bitcoin to, but has never been able to prove he has any connection to, and now says he cannot access anyway. Wright's failure to secure a court order in this case means that his chances of getting his hands on the coins in the Satoshi wallets are more distant than ever, although he will, of course, try his luck with the equivalent to the Satoshi coins on the BSV blockchain. This will involve offering documentation as strong as a court order that he is Satoshi and that those coins therefore belong to him, and we just don't know if the BSV Association is going to believe him. Arthur, if Craig Wright does end up taking receipt of over 1 million BSV tokens, is it simply going to be a case of selling them and paying back Calvin? And if so, surely he's going to crash the price even further? Well, I'm not so sure if he will uh, do that. Presuming uh, Craig takes ownership of some uh, 1 million BSV tokens, he could also hand them over to Calvin uh, without selling them, of course. But it becomes a different story when Fel Friedman is uh, timely going to say, Hi Greg, where's the 143 million per WNK? It's clear that Wright pinned a lot of hopes, both financial and otherwise, on succeeding in his case, and the fact that he and his cronies have chosen to decimate the last sliver of integrity within the BSV blockchain in order to satisfy the greed and desperation of their great leader says a hell of a lot about the state of a project that has the gall to call itself the real Bitcoin. So where does all this leave us now? The BSV Association promised to have the notary tool in place within 30 days of the settlement, which is early July, so we can expect Craig Wright to be putting in his claim without a court order the moment it goes live, at which point it will be interesting to see how the BSV Association handles Wright's supporting evidence and just how much resistance it puts up. Theoretically, it should be looking at the evidence with the same scrutiny as a court judge, but something tells me this might not happen. We also got wind of another setback for Craig Wright regarding this case, in which he, Reed, Calvin Eyre, was ordered to pay the developers about £340,000 after, according to Twitter user and legal man about town Will McKenzie, Ontier, on the instructions of Craig Wright, did something to breach the embargo of the judgement, which, on another day, might have found themselves in contempt of court. No doubt this loss will be seen as another move in Wright's 5D chess game. Honestly, he just can't stop winning. He's making the rest of us look bad. To wrap up this story, we got a beautifully unself-aware moment this month from Wright during a YouTube discussion for the women of BSV. No, these aren't the scantily clad young women often seen pictured with Calvin Eyre. They represent a very different organisation entirely. This is a movement trying to get more women involved in the promotion and usage of BSV. During the chat, Wright was discussing the alleged shady behaviour of El Salvador President Naib Bukele and his Bitcoin holdings. You've got a transparent system. You can easily prove uh, what you have in both sides. Uh, so it should be simple, but uh, of course you make it complex so that people don't realise that El Presidente is basically siphoning money off to Swiss bank accounts. <laughs> and then when President becomes no longer President, Oh well, what a shame. Um, hackers. Yeah, hackers stole all my, my BTC. Yeah. Yeah, like many of the exchanges out there. Um, yeah, we got hacked. You just don't get better than that. 
On the subject of the Satoshi Hall, we got a quite incredible theory this month from CoinGeek reporter Joshua Hensley in conversation with Christian Darnton, who some of you will remember from our bonus episode a couple of weeks ago. There might be issues with that. Maybe keys are lost. Maybe it was a group and he can't access them. These things are all possible. I look at it from an incentive side. Take what you believe about Craig out. Just look at it from if you are actually Satoshi and the thing you created manifested three chains that you have all the same amount of coins on, right? Uh, you have a million BTC, BCH, BSV. BTC has gone to tens of thousands of dollars. Everyone knows if Satoshi ever moved the coin, the market would collapse because everybody would try to front run him. Everyone would say, oh, he's dumping, sell. So if you were Satoshi, why would you do that? It doesn't, just from a financial standpoint, why would you move one of the early blocks? It, it doesn't make sense, right? I would argue that you have an incentive to convince everybody you do not have access over these coins and then you move them because you can cash out slowly. Okay, Arthur, there are a few things we need to address here. Firstly, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but the implication seems to be that Wright is not selling his Bitcoin because he doesn't want to crash the market. So instead, he's selling it discreetly in small chunks so people don't realize it's Satoshi selling, get scared and dump their own coins. Where do we start with this? <laughs> yeah. This is a total and utter nonsense, Mark. Of course, everyone with a few brain cells knows that Craig Wright hardly owns any Bitcoin and everything he claims about uh, owning 100,000 of Bitcoin is a lie, only supported with forgeries and already recognized as nonsense by the Australian Taxation Office and Court Florida at the same time. But yeah, you don't even have to believe me. Uh, you don't have to believe uh, the ATO or you don't have to believe uh, Court Florida if you are a BSV fan or a Craig Wright fan, if only they listen to what Craig Wright himself says about the case. In January 2020, after the bonded courier, well, sorry, it was actually I am lawyer Dennis Mayaka, <laughs> after all, uh, who handed uh, the Tulip Trust list uh, to Craig's wife and he, she gave it to Craig so he could give it to Ira Kleiman and whose counsel filed it in May 2020 in the Kleiman case. And by accident, that list leaked within half an hour on the core docket. So everyone could uh, check the public addresses on it, which were more than 16,000. And what happened? The Tulip Trust list got signed uh, 145 times. Craig Wright is a liar and a fraud by the real owners of these addresses. But uh, to cut uh, this long story short, uh, Mark, uh, Craig Wright admitted that the private keys were not delivered by the bonded courier in this process. So they still belong to the Tulip Trust. But he was 99.99999% sure that he would get them someday. However, not long after, we learned that the Tulip Trust had filed a lawsuit against Ira Kleiman because they claimed that Ira Kleiman had destroyed the information on Dave Kleiman's devices after he died in April 2013 because Ira had wiped them and reformatted them, whatever, and Ira had started to use these devices for himself. And between the wiped information, and here's the kicker mark, were the private keys of the Tulip Trust assets. So whoever claims that Craig is able to move any coins is wrong. He can't move anything. 99.99% of everyone out there aware of this silly story knows, of course, uh, this because they know Craig is lying through his teeth and forging everything as part of his Satoshi cosplay. But the rest should believe Craig's own words as they usually do. 
Hensley also offered an interesting theory over the addresses Wright was supposedly in control of as Satoshi. Another factor why folks call Craig a fraud is because in court, he claimed to have control over these addresses. Uh, it was like 145 addresses. A few months after that, somebody signed messages over those addresses. So people immediately said, oh, look, Craig doesn't have those keys. Somebody else did it because they signed a message saying, Craig Wright's a fraud, a fraud. Lightning Network is a significant technical achievement. However, since then, some of those coins have moved and been sold from 2010, 2011. Honestly, the, big, the person, in my opinion, that has the most incentive to have done that is Craig, because now the market knows he doesn't control those coins. At least they think they don't. But if they are Satoshi coins, he gets the, all the benefits of being Satoshi without any of the disadvantages. Now, this is a real doozy. Wright has been moving coins from early Bitcoin wallets he mined to, doing in private what he refused to do in public. But when asked about this, he has denied it because otherwise the market will dump if holders knew he has control of them. While this is a lovely little theory for Craig Wright devotees to cling to, it is based on his word alone rather than any evidence. And there's a good reason for this. There isn't any evidence. There are, however, many more reasons why it wasn't Craig Wright who moved those coins. First of all, Arthur, I think there have only been a couple of instances where coins from that mining era, circa 2009, have been moved, including one specific movement which took place in May 2020, to which Hensley refers here. What do we know about this coin move and the likelihood that it was Satoshi that moved them? Well, you're referring, I think, to the block subsidy of 50 Bitcoin of a very, very early mined block. And I mean here the block with number 3654 that was mined on February the 9th, 2009. Well, it's not very likely that Satoshi was involved with this block. Extensive research has been performed over the years. And to summarize the research, based on something called the extra nonce value in the block header of the block in question, one can say with uh, confidence that it is not a Satoshi mined block and logically not a Satoshi owned address with 50 Bitcoin. Remember, there were uh, already several other miners uh, active in that era, like uh, Hal Finney and Dustin Trammell, uh, to name a few. Wright has repeatedly said that Bitcoin will die and go to zero because it has no utility, and Hensley's argument presents him with the perfect chance to do that. Just admit it was him who moved the coins in May 2020, and watch the market dump out of fear that more is on the way. Except there's just one problem, isn't there, Arthur? He can't do this because he knows so few people believe him, so the impact will be minimal, not to mention embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it turned out to be embarrassing for Craig indeed, because in May 2020, Bitcoin was below $10,000. And from there, it went on a run to end up on around 65000 in April 2021. That was the first stop in, uh, in 2021. So it doesn't matter who says they moved them. It only ended in Bitcoin going up. Maybe Craig claiming it was him moving these coins could or would have influenced uh, that run. Yeah, that we cannot know, of course. Now, as you already mentioned, another reason we know Wright wasn't behind the May 2020 coin move was because of what happened in the Kleiman case a year before. Wright had said in his depositions that the address from which the coins were moved was one of the 145 tied up in the Tulip Trust, an address he told the judge he no longer had access to. This means that he either lied to the judge and had access all the time, or he happens to gain access, move the coins and not tell the court. Either way, 
This is clearly perjurious behaviour, and surely even Craig Wright isn't that stupid. Then again... Finally, we have the blockchain trail. Hensley's suggestion is that Wright is sending coins out of the Satoshi wallet, but somehow avoiding the transactions being recorded on the blockchain, selling them and cashing out without his identity being known. Arthur, is this even possible? Mark, I hope you catch the irony in what I'm going to say now. <laughs> With Craig Wright, everything is possible. There it is. <laughs> he is the inventor of the Bitcoin system in 1998, remember? Craig already owned an Apple iPhone in 2006. So Steve Jobs had to borrow Craig's iPhone when he introduced it in 2007. Craig can do all kinds of tricks on block and off block. He can move coins with court orders that still have to be written. He can stop Bitcoin transactions with meteorites falling from the sky. He can buy and sell Bitcoin by only having private keys being sent around. He can offer 50,000 Bitcoins to Stephen Matthews for pennies on the dollar in 2009. Craig can own hundreds and thousands of Bitcoin without ever signing a message on the addresses he controls to the ATO. Really, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Magic all over the place. <laughs> Craig Wright, I would call him the Chuck Norris, the Buddha and the devil, the modern day combination of Thomas Neil Anderson, Morpheus and Agent Smith of the crypto industry. Yeah, I'm sensing a little bit of sarcasm there. Yeah, it's just ludicrous. You cannot move coins out of a Bitcoin wallet with no one noticing, especially those early wallets, which are monitored 24-7. Uh, Yes, the suggestion that Wright is slowly cashing out his Satoshi holdings in this manner is as technically impossible as it is logically unfeasible, unless he's doing it at a rate of 50 Bitcoin every 11 years, in which case he's planning on living to a ripe old age indeed. All in all, the idea that Wright has access to the Satoshi Hall but is not dumping his Bitcoin in order to protect a market he despises, or is somehow siphoning it off bit by bit without anyone noticing, is about as fanciful as him being Satoshi in the first place. As anyone who hasn't been blocked by him will already know, Craig Wright has been using LinkedIn as his most recent sounding board to propagate his various flavours of nonsense and remind us mere mortals just how amazingly intelligent he is. He's also started using it more like his Slack forum, spouting off about what will happen in his forthcoming legal cases, and we got another taste of that this month. Very shortly, in fact within a few weeks, people are going to start to understand that calling BTC Bitcoin and referring to this technology that is illegally passing itself off as Bitcoin comes with a cost. Not a minimal cost. Not one that only the big players face. One that everyone who continues to use that term will face, and one that if they don't stop calling the BTC system Bitcoin, but they will find bankrupts them. Arthur, let's try and digest this, if we can make our way through that atrocious serving of word soup. Firstly, we know that Wright has launched legal proceedings against Coinbase and Kraken for calling BTC Bitcoin, which is what he's referring to as the big players here. Incidentally, this isn't the first time that Kraken has been sued in this matter. It turns out that in January 2020, Kraken was sued for what founder Jesse Powell at the time said was for not calling BSV BTC, and called the lawsuit a frivolous BSV-related lawsuit. At the time, Calvin Ayer took this summation very well, calling Powell a fucking wanker, and adding, how is a global community be responsible for your stupid business decisions? Anyone? No? Oh well. 
So far, neither of the exchanges has responded to Wright's lawsuit or even mentioned it in any way, shape or form, which must rankle with the BSV community something rotten. In his LinkedIn piece, Wright doesn't discuss these cases, however, instead turning to, it seems, the rest of the world, claiming he will bankrupt anyone who refers to Bitcoin as BTC. Other Am I interpreting that right? He literally says everyone who continues to use that term will face bankruptcy. How is this man still allowed on the streets? Yeah, good question. It sounds like uh, Craig is still expecting that we believe him that he will be able to bring Bitcoin, the real thing uh, in this case, on its knees, making everyone who holds Bitcoin go bankrupt. It's hard to imagine that he is planning a reverse class action lawsuit in the sense that he is indeed going to sue literally everyone who is stating Bitcoin is BTC. That will be tens if not uh, hundreds of millions of people. I think it won't be long before LinkedIn is really kicking Craig from the platform after he already had a warning and was temporarily suspended. Yeah, and when he does, it will be down to the MasterCard Mafia again, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Wright ends this particular rant with a promise that what all this occurs, and it's about to, don't say I didn't warn you. Of course, by this point we don't need to remind you about the plethora of Wright's warnings of Armageddon that have never come to pass, even the ones that were grammatically correct, although with the headline Craig Wright sues the whole world, I think we've found the title for the Craig Wright biopic. We will of course have to wait and see what comes to pass from this, but if you've ever called Bitcoin BTC instead of BSV in any context and on any platform, Craig Wright could be after you. We also got some very big news this month about one of BSV's most important figureheads, someone who's been there from the very beginning. Yes, Jimmy Wynn has left the building. That's right, the man who has been in the thick of things going right back to 2015 has escaped the sinking ship for the safety of the shore. Arthur, what was your immediate reaction to hearing this? Well, to me, this was not really unexpected, although I expected it to happen somewhat earlier, to be honest. Uh, If one rat would leave the ship first, and that's how I called it on Twitter when I became aware of the news, it would have been Jimmy Wynn. He is indeed the first of the core team, and some, uh, some will call them the fraud squad, to leave. But again, about a year later, as I expected. On Twitter, I couldn't help bringing back in memory that Jimmy Wynn was the person who contacted Andrew O'Hagan, we know that is the writer of the Satoshi Affair, several weeks before the Wired Gizmodo docs. So we are talking around October 2015 here. He was trying to sell the Craker Satoshi life story for which Kelvin's uh, sock puppets uh, Robert McGregor and Stephen Matthews paid $1 million uh, for to Craig as part of a 50 million bailout package uh, they started setting up in June 2015 when Craig was neck deep into troubles with the Australian Taxation Office who requested uh, millions in tax refunds back from Craig. Wynne announced his departure from BSV on Twitter saying it was about time for a change. In the post, the lawyer said that he had been planning his move for well over a year, saying that in that time he had been presented with multiple business opportunities that, we can assume, grew more appealing as the rolling car crash that is the BSV ecosystem gathered pace. Wynne said he was leaving to build a global portfolio of business interests in the related blockchain and digital technology interests, and added some fluff about involving BSV in it at some stage in the future. The proof will be in the pudding with that one. Arthur, there was one interesting paragraph in his statement which might have hinted at the truth behind his departure. Did you spot that? Yeah, I'm sure you mean this uh, paragraph, right? I will uh, will read it for you. I also know BSV's success requires more than just 
technical superiority. We need to develop more relationships, business and adoption to build more bridges and fewer walls. I will contribute with strengths that have defined my professional career, communication, interpersonal connections, credibility, results orientation and a high standard of excellence. There's a great line there, building more bridges and fewer walls. The subtext is pretty telling there, isn't it? Yeah, if you refer to Craig Wright's numerous lawsuits that he is involved in, where he is not exactly performing with a high standard of excellence, quote-unquote, yeah, it appears uh, that Jimmy is a bit fed up with the whole thing. And I can't blame him, uh, to be fair. With BSV, by all metrics, a total failure in the crypto industry, Calvin and Craig have built a little echo chamber of only hardcore believers in the mantra that BSV already won. And with Craig igniting lawsuit after lawsuit with uh, Calvin's uh, backup narrative, Craig will won all cases, I think it becomes uh, it became more and more clear to Jimmy Wynn that Camp Craig was and is not exactly building bridges, but instead is building more walls. For those who paid attention, it was no less than Peter McCormick, the famous podcaster who is uh, since early 2019 uh, entangled in a little lawsuit with Craig Wright, who tweeted that Jimmy Wynn was not telling the truth and that in due time he would reveal the true story of Jimmy Wynn. Hopefully there'll be an interview on the horizon. What do you think his departure means for BSV? What have they lost? Yeah, I'm not sure. Jimmy is a somewhat gifted uh, speaker and uh, conference host, although his presentation style uh, makes uh, places go itchy with me where I cannot reach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he <laughs> he reminds me a lot of a Christian minister that is communicating uh, his uh, religious views on uh, TV, you know, like uh, the hour of power, things like that. Yeah, That's not my thing at all, but popular with a certain audience uh, nevertheless, and that's what they will miss. Talking of BSV, we also got an interesting little technical update from a company called Blockchair. Arthur, first of all, what is Blockchair and how does BSV relate to it? Well, Blockchair is um, yeah, simply a uh, blockchain data provider. They're also called Block Explorers. And for Bitcoin and a few of its uh, spin-offs, they provide insights about hash rate, number of nodes, number of daily transactions, things like that. These service providers need to run a BSV node, which is a non-mining node. We also call them a full node. They only host the full BSV blockchain and other blockchains, of course. Now, in the middle of June, the blockchain support GitHub received a message saying, Since a few days, your Bitcoin SV endpoint shows no new data and is stuck at block 743584. Please fix this. Arthur, what did this mean and what is the significance of it? Well, I have to go back to GitHub for this, because that is where uh, Nikita Zavoronkov, the lead developer of Blockchair, posted regular updates about these uh, issues with BSV. He was pretty frustrated uh, a few weeks ago, so let's go back to a few quotes of him. Unfortunately, both our main node and reserve node, so they got two, got corrupted for some reason, while we didn't experience any technical issues like power outages. The problem is that we don't understand the root cause of the issue and there's nothing we can really do about it as we need a node close to our database servers as the blocks are very big and it takes time to download them. So we can't use an external node provider. Well, and here Ampassan Nikita also dropped this little hand grenade. Please also note that we will be dropping full support with guaranteed data consistency for Bitcoin SV in the coming weeks. Please use another Bitcoin SV data provider if it's crucial to your business. 
And as days passed, uh, Mark, uh, without any solution, Nikita got a little irritated. And here's the next quote. I think the main issue with BSV in general is that it's not quite possible to predict the blockchain size at all. The current limit seems to be 4 gigabyte. And people, that is per block, eh, Mark. And people were actively testing to hit it. So potentially it is 4 times 144 is, uh, that makes uh, 576 gigabyte of blockchain data every day. Wow. Plus indexes. Plus, services like block explorers run their own database. We run even two for extra speed and analytics. So for Blockshare, this is potentially up to 60 terabytes a month, just with the current limit, which is expected to get increased. The second important issue is that if it was some useful data like real transactions, real people would come to block explorers to see their transactions. Businesses would buy API subscriptions, so we would be able to cover the disk costs, the development costs, the cost of trying to figure out how to fit 10 exabytes into Postgres, not very trivial, I think, etc. But the reality is that 99.99% or so of Bitcoin SV transactions are, here we go, uh, Mark, junk. So despite being the biggest Bitcoin-like blockchain with most transactions, Bitcoin SV constitutes only 0.3% of our visitor numbers. And there are very few API clients using Bitcoin SV. And only 0.2% of all API requests, most of which are free API calls for the statistics, Unfortunately, this doesn't cover all these costs, so that's why we can't run more than two nodes. And even these two nodes will get stuck at some point because we'll go bankrupt buying all these disks to store the junk data. But we're trying our best. This is a prime example of how regular businesses simply cannot afford to support the BSV infrastructure unless they are happy to run it at a loss. It's also an example of a completely impartial entity showing that BSV deals only in junk transactions, that there is nothing of value going through the blockchain. And BSV nodes have trouble keeping up with the massive amounts of data, and since 2019 they are dropping one by one from the BSV network. In 2019 BSV had around 650 nodes, and now only around uh, 10 to 15 uh, are remaining. Jameson Lopp, who remember tried to run a BSV node but couldn't get it to work, posted the line from Zavaronkov about BSV's junk transactions, to which Calvin Eyre took umbrage, replying with an absolute zinger to Lopp. No transaction that is paid for is junk. You have no idea what you're talking about. Arthur, I love the fact that Eyre's response to the entire thing, including this multi-post evisceration by Zavaronkov, is you don't know what you're talking about. No attempts to rebut the arguments, no alternative data to try and prove him wrong. Just, nope, you're wrong, go away. <laughs> yeah, this is what we see from the BSV gang over and over again. Fingers in the ears and la 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 la, I can't hear you. <laughs> Let's look for a moment at what BSV recommends you use hardware-wise to try and run a BSV node. They recommend a machine with at least an 8-core 20-thread CPU, 64GB memory plus 64GB swap memory, and a gigabit Ethernet connection, reserved purely for the node. This is in addition to the 4.4TB of storage space required to download the blockchain, which you'll need to add to on a regular basis as the blockchain grows with junk transactions. 
Arthur, this is quite a list of demands. It's not hard to see why block chairs calling time and the node counts dropping, is it? Nope. I've said it so many times over the years, Mark. BSV is a self-suffocating concept. It's strangling itself slowly to death. Also, I noticed something odd with the BSV transaction chart for 2022. The count has been hovering between 1 and 3 million per day throughout the year, but it spiked to 19 million on the 21st of April, and then the very next day it crashed down to 250,000, since when it's been practically flatlining and hasn't got back up above either 650,000 or 900,000 depending on your data source. Do you know what's happened here? I noticed the, the same phenomenon, but all I can say is that crypto fights and fixed gaming, which were the parties that provided uh, those millions in uh, Nikita's junk transactions until April this year, they, yeah, they are gone. They basically disappeared, only to return with a few death gasps of uh, crypto fights every now and then. And that pain is felt as the remaining enterprises are hardly doing uh, a few hundred or a few thousand uh, transactions per day. Roughly 75 to 80% of all apps that claim to work with BSV and are registered on a website called bsvdata.com, they do nothing. Zero. We'll end this month with a nice little nugget from the IoT 2022 conference in Ireland, where Craig Wright was speaking not to a packed auditorium, but instead to a half-empty conference room about his new pet project, BSV and IPv6, a relationship that an N-chain inside source to the podcast has already called complete nonsense. One Twitter user posted a couple of photos of the event, claiming that it is always inspiring to see Craig speak about the peer-to-peer nature of Bitcoin incorporating IPv6 to an audience so vital to the industry. However, what was much more interesting for most people was something that just happened to be on the projector screen in the second photo. Arthur, what did we see with this photo? Yeah, this is quite funny. We see Craig Wright uh, scamming for a loan, uh, Mark. Let me read that slide uh, and yeah, judge yourself. It's a slide that uh, shows a photo of uh, Craig Wright standing up. On the screen, it says Dr. Craig as Wright, Bitcoin creator. Well, that's the first lie, of course. But here we go. Dr. Wright may request a loan of Bitcoin for the following reasons and no other. Furthering research into peer-to-peer systems, IPv6 and Bitcoin. Commercial activities that enhance the value and position of Bitcoin. What do you think the context was for this? I mean, why was he discussing Bitcoin loans at an IoT conference? Well, the context is a Tulip Trust uh, contract forgery that Craig made in October 2014 with Dave Kleiman uh, involved. Dave Kleiman was already dead, of course. 1.1 million Bitcoins being mentioned, uh, etc., etc., but backdated to somewhere June 2011 when Dave was still alive. It's a long story for another day, and I think we covered this in another episode last year uh, already. But with this forgery, Craig can show that he was already into IPv6 in 2011. Or 2014, if he was honest. But I don't believe in these type of uh, miracles when it comes to Craig Wright. But in that uh, 2014 uh, forgery, we see the exact same text appear as on the slide that Craig uh, used in Dublin two weeks ago. So no doubt that Craig reused it. Uh, By the way, it was uh, Twitter user Gardling who caught this uh, little nugget. It was not not even me uh, this time. But uh, yeah, exactly the same uh, sentence. Dr. Wright may request a loan of Bitcoin for the following reasons and no others. 
furthering research into peer-to-peer systems, IPv6 and Bitcoin, and commercial activities that enhance the value imposition of Bitcoin. What amused me here was Calvin's reaction to someone who posted about this. He tweeted, I know Craig well, he has never asked anyone publicly for money, so you are lying basically. Of all people, Calvin knows all too well that while Craig might have never asked for a public loan, his private requests have been much more frequent. <laughs> yeah, oh, indeed. <laughs> and it is my estimation that Craig obtained uh, yeah, many millions in private loans from Calvin's camp uh, since 2015. And always with his uh, Tulip Trust as collateral, a loan for his bailout from the ATO troubles to loans for keeping his legal train on the rails, both as defendant uh, like in the Kleiman and Copa cases and as claimant like in his uh, lawsuits against Peter McCormack and Kraken and Coinbase that he recently announced. That's about all we have time for this month. We were hoping to bring you news of the Peter McCormack trial verdict, but it looks like July is going to be the earliest we can do that. But you've already had a bonus episode this month, so stop being greedy. Arthur, thank you once again for demystifying the techno bubble and giving us some all-important context. As always, you're welcome, Mark. And I'll see you next month. See you next month. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. If you enjoyed what you heard, we'd love it if you could rate and even review us on your podcast app of choice to help us spread the word. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast too in order to get the episodes the moment they drop. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. Written by Mark Hunter with additional material by Arthur Van Pelt. Editing and production by Mark Hunter. This has been a Contented Media Production.